This is our time to give ourselves to the ministry of the Word. May you hear it and receive it and be changed by it. We've got a little project going on as our family of churches grows that we're trying to write down the essentials of what it means to be Seven Mile Road. And really, that is just what it means to be a a happy and a holy and a healthy church together. So each of these sermons in this Feel Guide series is a a chapter in what we're writing up for the good of our churches and for you to say, here's some essentials of what we're going for. All of those big ideas are rooted in the text of Acts chapter 20, where the Apostle Paul speaks to a church that he planted and rewinds for them and says, this is how we did what we did, and this is how the grace of God has been so strong to us. So I'm preaching this to you. If it sounds at times like I may be reading something that I wrote, that's exactly what's going on on some of these things, but trying to get in a clear way to your soul this morning. So here's, here's our chapter on envy and the death that it will be to the life of your soul and our church. And the big idea that we're going for is this. We are going to be content in and laser-focused on our callings. We're going to be content with who the Lord has made us and laser-focused on what He has called us to be together. All right, let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, we're always praying because we're always reminded of our dependence upon You. I pray that You would make the clear teaching of Scripture beautiful and sharp and helpful to us today. And I pray that we would be radically satisfied in Jesus so that we might be radically useful to Jesus. Would you hear my prayer for that? And just meet us in this sweet time together as a family under your word. Would you be doing the same downstairs with 40 kids who are being formed in the gospel that your grace may be known downstairs, upstairs, across this world. Hear my prayer for that, I pray. Amen. All right, let me start with a story that will frame this for us. The George Washington Bridge. Do you know about this bridge? This is the one that cuts across sort of the top of Manhattan from Jersey to the Bronx. It is one of those bridges where No matter what time you get to the bridge, there is traffic. Eight o'clock in the morning, you're backed up in traffic. Two o'clock in the afternoon, you're backed up in traffic. Two o'clock in the morning, you're backed up in traffic. First pitch, game one, Mets, Yankees, World Series, doesn't matter, you're backed up in traffic. Christmas Eve, 8 p.m. You're really in trouble if Chris Christie is the governor of the state of New Jersey. Then it's over. There's no way to go across the George Washington Bridge without some form of traffic. Several years ago, we were coming up 95, coming home from spending some time with our friends at Seven Mile Road down in Philadelphia. When you are in Jersey, you really want to get out of Jersey And as you're getting out of Jersey, you have to make this decision because there's a a Jersey barrier in the middle of 95 North. 
two signs. To the left is express. To the right is local. If you are in your car and you're trying to get out of Jersey as fast as you can, which do you choose? Most of us would choose the express lane. So I did this. 13 feet into the express lane, it came to a dead stop. And worse than that, the local lane on this side was flying. Cars are flying by me in the local lane. Trucks are flying by me in the local lane. Priuses are flying by me in the local lane. You know, 36 is tops for a Prius, but just zipping by me. An old lady in one of those motorized shopping carts on her way back from Market Basket was in the breakdown lane flying by me and just kind of waved. One of two things was going to grip my soul in that moment. And because I am a work in progress, the thing that flooded in was envy. Envy is wanting to be somebody else, somewhere else, anything but what's before me. I was wishing I was somewhere else. The local lane at that moment looked very good. The other side of the bridge sounded even better. At home, in my house, on my couch would have been fantastic. Even White Castle in Queens would have been better than where I was. I wish I was somewhere else. I wished I was driving something else. I was thinking monster truck. I was thinking the Batmobile. Have you seen that? You just push a couple of buttons, blow up the Jersey barrier, and now you're in the local lane. I wish I was driving anything other than this minivan. And I began to wish that I was someone else. Anyone but a pastor who had to go down to Philly with his wife and kids on a Sunday afternoon is trying to get home. I wished I was a pilot. I wished I was the governor of New Jersey because I would have opened those tolls up anybody but who God had called me to be that moment in that car. For the hour that it took us to go, the mile and a half on the express side of the Jersey barrier, bright green with envy. And I remember, I'll never forget, my head kept doing this. And you ever get start to get frustrated in traffic so then you remember the... the sideways glance. I kept looking off of what I was doing to the side over here. This is what envy is, only it's that sideways glance of your soul. I wish that that life over there was my life and not this life that is here before me. Has anyone in this room ever heard of ski low? Just Chris? Okay. Skilo was a one-hit rapper in the mid-90s, and his big song was, I Wish. Here are the lyrics. I wish I was a little bit taller. Okay, now you know it. Skilo, you can write that down. (laughs) I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. I wish I had a rabbit and a hat with a bat and a 64 Impala. I wish I was like six foot nine. And it goes on like this. He called it, I wish. It's 
Confessions of Hip-Hop Envy. That's the subtitle of this song. All of us tend to sing that same song. Let me give you some examples. All of the places where we glance sideways and say, I wish that this was my life over here. I wish I had different gifts. Late 2000s, the first Acts 29 church planning event that I had gone to, I remember Daniel Montgomery, stellar pastor of a church down in Louisville, Kentucky. And he spoke that morning for an hour without any notes at all. And he just went gospel fire and he didn't even stutter. And I remember thinking, man, when I preach every 11 seconds, I'm looking down to make sure what the next thing was that I was going to say. I wish I could talk like Daniel Montgomery. The church that we planted out of, the pastor was a dear friend of mine, and he is a priest, like with a capital P, priestly personality. I sometimes will sit with you for an hour, and when we're done, you just feel like things got a lot worse. Have you had that experience with me? He's with someone for six minutes, and he just draws out of them all of their idols and their sins and their hopes and their dreams, and they just feel like someone wrapped them in a, in a warm blanket. I remember sitting with him a couple of times and watching him do this and going, oh, I thought you just yelled Bible verses at people. Just get out my Bible like, eh, eh, the Bible says, boom. That was my counseling sessions in the late 2000s. I wish I could have the spirit of this man. You feel that? I wish I lived in a different city. The Allens totally set us up for that one this morning. This is where having the internet is a major danger for your soul, especially if you are a pastor or a church planter. I remember reading about this guy's church plant lodge service in Missouri. It's a state somewhere. Levi was helping me with this, but I couldn't figure it out. Uh, He said basically his church planting strategy was he found two sticks and he crossed them together and said, we're planting a church on Sunday. And they had... 450 people come to their first service. 450. My church planting fantasies, you know when you're in the shower and you're just like dreaming of things? I don't even fantasize about 450 people in the life of our church up here. Two sticks. I read about their Easter Sunday services and they just top one another, right? I remember one year, 797, 3,600 Then one of the pastors in our network at the time posts, we rented out Quest Field where the Mariners play for our Easter Sunday service. And I remember, I think if we got everybody at Seven Mile to show on Easter, we could do our service in the dugout at Fenway. Would they let us do that? (laughs) That's what went through my mind. I'm serious. I wish we weren't called to live where we're called to live the cost of living and the weather, and the rotaries, and the Kennedys, but don't forget that this goes the other way. I have had so many conversations with church planters south of Virginia, and when I talk to them about you, 
Do you know what their complexion changes to? Green, bright green with envy. They tell me about how hard it is where they are dealing with Christian culture. They call it the Jesus inoculation, right? Everyone's totally positive that they're a Christian down there. And they say to me, man, I would love to have the people that you're telling me about that are a part of Seven Mile Road, just straightforward, no nonsense, all in. We don't have that. Do you feel the nastiest of this beast envy? Wherever you are called, you will always have the temptation to say, but, but what about over there? Let's get real. I wish I had a different husband or wife. This didn't make it in Skilo's song, but it's a reality in our world. There are a hundred men and women in this church, and if you are not locked into who the Lord has given to you, you will begin to look this way and say, but I really wish I had him or I had her. Look at the way that that husband gives emotional support to his wife. Look at the way that he holds her hand. My, my husband doesn't hold my hand like that. He didn't just get her white tulips. They were Zarel tulips. I can't remember the last time my husband got me tulips. Look at how she is so bubbly and so joyful and so bouncy. My wife is so quiet and so somber and so serious. Or look how she is so somber and so serious and mature. My wife is so bubbly and so bouncy. Why can't she be more serious? Look how she reads theology. Oh, she read that book by Jonathan Edwards' wife. She knows who the great authors are. My wife prefers the Country Music Awards on a Friday night. Or, all my wife does is read theology, man. Every day, Amazon's coming with a new book by John Piper or Hannah Anderson. I can't even get her to talk to me. I wish we could just watch Dancing with the Stars together. We think that ultimately, Uh, adultery begins with the lust of the eyes. The truth is that it often begins with envy in the heart. I wish. I wish I had a different upbringing. I was raised in a church where the, the grace of the gospel was announced, but I was discipled into a very legalistic type of doing church. And for years, that crushed me, and it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that someone talked to me about the doctrines of grace and called me to just breathe in the love of God. And I remember thinking, man, why didn't I get to go to that church when I was 17? It would have saved me so much heartache, so much pain. I wish that was me. If you were never a pastor's kid, you might meet pastor's kids and say to yourself, I wish my mom and dad opened the Bible with me like that. I wish they said, we're going to worship Jesus, soccer, we'll have to wait. You may have grown up as a pastor's kid and said, I wish it was anything but that. Orphan on the streets of Brazil would have been better 
than having to be a pastor's kid. I wish that one over there was my life. I wish I was working at something else. I don't know if you talk to pastors much, but they call it Milk Truck Monday. On Monday morning, a lot of times pastors are like, I wish I was just in a truck delivering Coca-Cola or milk, listening to WDEEI, and there was no emails in my inbox, and I didn't have to prepare for a sermon, and I didn't have to deal with this flock and this mission. Pastors joke about Milk Truck Monday. There's something wrong in your soul if you are wishing that you were delivering eggs to Store 24 for a living instead of what the Lord has called you to do. I wish I had a different body type. And I wish I wasn't 6'3 and bald with a red face and have a big scar on top of my head. Who was telling me the other day, somebody said, you go to Seven Mile Road, and they went, oh yeah, that's that tall pastor, the bald guy, right? This is how I'm known now in the city of Melrose, the bald guy. Why can't I have hair like Rob Rosell? He can still gel it. Look at it. <laughs> Why can't I have hair like Marvin Yu? He's barely younger than me. Look at his head. I would love to transplant that right here. I wish I could sing like her. I wish I could think like him. I wish I had blue eyes. I wish I had green eyes. I wish I had straight hair. I wish I just had anything but this straight hair. I wish I wasn't a man and I was a woman. I wish I wasn't a woman and I was a man. I wish, I wish, I wish. Okay, this, I wish. This is the natural disposition of your heart to be dissatisfied with the providences of God dissatisfied with your sex, your capacities, the callings that the Lord has put before you. All of American culture exists to flame and stoke the fires of envy. Social media, academia, Hollywood. I always feel like they're just standing there with buckets of kerosene, pouring it on the flicker of envy that continues to flame in my soul. What you have is never enough. What you look like is never good enough. What you've accomplished does not qualify. Who you are is second rate. There's always someone out there who's got it a little better than you. Look over there. Look over there. Look over there. If we as a church give in to this sin of envy, uh, of envy and this sideways glance becomes the normal posture for us, we're never going to become the joyful or the unified or the fruitful, prolific church that the Lord intends for us to be. Envy will kill all of those pursuits. Let's talk about them. Envy will kill our joy I love the Proverbs where it says, a tranquil heart, which is a satisfied heart, a content heart, a heart that is at peace with the Lord's providences. A tranquil heart 
gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. You will walk through life like a zombie with no life at all if you allow envy to determine the disposition of your heart. You'll do what you're supposed to do, but you'll do it cranky, and you'll do it grumpy, and you'll do it moody, and you'll do it joyless. There will be a shadow over your days instead of a bright light. There'll be no joy. Envy will also kill our unity. Envy robs you of the capacity to celebrate the successes of the person to your left and your right because you're looking saying, that's supposed to be me over there. Before we stumbled upon this building, we were looking for a better new space for the church that we planted in Malden. For two years, we looked at 27 different spaces. It was exhausting. And uh, one of the spaces that we looked at would have been awesome. It's called Spring Step. It's over uh, right on the Malden-Medford border. It's like built to get a church planted inside of there. Seats this many people, clean hardwood floors, acoustically awesome parking lot. It was great. I called the executive director. I'm learning from you how to be a likable person, so I like removed my intensity, and I was like as sweet as I could be. She said, I'm sorry, Matt, we're never going to rent this space on a Sunday, and we're totally not interested in renting to a church. A year later, a guy named Tanner Turley from Kentucky came up, and he had lunch with me at uh, DePetro's Pizza, and was like, hey, we want to plant in Medford. Where do you think I should be looking for spaces? My first thought was... If your mama named you Tanner Turley, you are supposed to say south of the state of Virginia. (laughs) That was my first thought. This dude's banging full-on Adidas sweatsuits with gold chains on the outside, zipped up in Medford, and here comes Tanner Turley to plant a church. All right. But I loved him, and I said, well, Spring Step would be the perfect place to plant a church in Medford, but it's never going to happen. Forget about it. We already tried. Like a good church planner, what does he do? He calls new executive director. We'd love to rent the space to a church on Sundays. How about less than Seven Mile Road is paying for the Emerson School Hall in Malden? What is my response supposed to be when Tana catches up with me and gives me the news? It's supposed to be joy. It's supposed to be delight. I should be excited This guy loves Jesus. He's giving up his plans for his life to love the people that I love in the city of Medford. Drove my bike around that city as a middle school student. But if there is envy, what happens in that phone call? I'm frustrated. I'm upset. I get depressed. My soul is robbed of the opportunity to rejoice in the advance of the gospel. If you really allow that envy to fester, it will sabotage the work of God in the life of our church because you will not be glad when someone else's gospel work or gospel community prospers and moves forward. 
when someone else sees fruit in what they're giving themselves to because you're going to constantly be saying, but why not me? Why not me? It is not beyond us to hang our brother or sister out to dry if envy has our souls. And then last one, envy will rob you of your usefulness. Envy will sap the fire and the energy and the vigor that you are supposed to have for the work that is before you. How can we focus on the work that is before us if our glance is constantly to the right or to the left? Envy distracts. Envy disinvigorates. Envy paralyzes. Uh, one time early on when I had my license, I was driving on Bryan Street in Malden. I grew up right on the Everett-Malden line. And there was something on the dashboard of my car. And I was supposed to be doing straight, but it started to, to go this way. And, you know, being a young driver, I took my eyes off of the road and I watched it. Now, what happens to the car if your hands are on the wheels and you are glancing this way at whatever it was, fall over there. (laughs) So my car went right up to the sidewalk on Bryan Street, slammed on the brakes, learned my lesson. If I'm supposed to be going this way, I can't be glancing over there. It doesn't work. This is what envy does. This is unbelievable calling before us right here but we refuse to be content and satisfied in what the Lord has before us. And so our glance goes this way and we get off course and unable to be useful to Jesus. Okay, this is why the text that Sarah read to us has become precious to our soul as Seven Mile Road. It's a picture of a soul in which envy has been vaporized It's a snapshot of what it feels like for someone to be all good and all in with what the Lord has put before them. It's an invitation for you to straighten your gaze and to be satisfied in doing well with whatever it is that the Lord has put before you. Let's work these two verses together. Paul is speaking and he says to them these words. Behold, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Do you feel this? This is a thousand times worse than being stuck in the express lane on the New Jersey Turnpike. This is much worse than what most of us are facing in our lives right now. Feel the context. Paul, there's two things before you on this road that I've called you to. Beatings and then jail time. Congratulations. That's what I have lined up for you. Can everyone see the immediate opportunity for the soul of this man to begin to glance sideways as he comes to grips with the Spirit's call on him? Jerusalem, imprisonment, afflictions. How about 
Bermuda, sandy beaches, and Coronas? Or how about just Greece and some gyros and some conversions? Greece isn't far. Why are you putting this before me, Jesus? There's so many other cities I could be heading to. You know I've been in jail already, right? Did you miss that stay in the Philippian jail? You know that I've been beaten and flogged and whipped multiple times already. You know that, right? You're going to put these things before me again? There's a whole ungospeled world out there. Why are you sending me back to Jerusalem? If this is you or me, we know what to expect in the story. We're going to shrug our shoulders and we're going to drag our feet and we'll obey Jesus, but we're not going to have clarity and hope and vigor and excitement because we're going to be thinking, but what about over there? But instead, we get these words of Scripture. They're astounding. He says this, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Can you feel him owning the Lord's assignment to him specifically? Possessive in Greek, my course, the ministry that I received. This is awesome. There's no pining for someone else's course. There's no envying someone else's ministry. He has a calling. All that matters is that he does well with what Jesus has put before him. Nothing and nobody on the left matters. Nothing and nobody over here on the right matters. I trust Jesus. I trust him. He hasn't made a mistake with his providences in my life or what he's called me to. He's put a course and a ministry before me. Nothing else is even on my radar. Just somebody tell me that I nailed it, that I finished the course, that I fulfilled my calling and my ministry. Jesus, if it's Jerusalem, it's Jerusalem, and I'm not glancing left or right. If it's Boston, it's Boston, and I'm not glancing left or right. If it's Missouri, man, I am so sorry, (laughs) but it's Missouri, and I'm not glancing left or right. If it's imprisonment and afflictions, let's do it. If it's revival and 300 souls in Melrose come to Jesus, let's do it. If it's 35 years and some small, healthy churches get planted, I'm in. Let's do it. Just let me look straight ahead and go hard and be happy with what you've given to me. And that's enough. I'm I'm not saying that we should not have ambitions and go for big things together, right? I think you all know we're doing that. Let's do it. 
I'm not saying that there is never a time to revisit our course in prayer, in community, in submission to our elders. I mean, Sam, he's up there today, but he has given us the most beautiful model of that this year, was working over here and just sensed the discontent and took it to the pastors and the people that he was in community with and was like, I think I want and I think the Lord's calling me somewhere else. Let's go for it. And so he got his teaching certifications and he knocked on doors and he subbed at schools and he just got hired to teach fourth grade in Saugus. That's holy ambition. I'm not saying that we're not all in that with you. In a church like ours, we will often have people in the life stage of saying, will you walk with me to feel out what my course is? We're not saying that you get on one course and you're stuck there forever. That's not the point of this. What I am saying is that these words rock me. And they tell me that it is possible for us to be content with who Jesus has made us and how Jesus has wired us and where Jesus has placed us. But only if our souls are radically satisfied in Christ. You can never be radically obedient to Christ if you are not first of all radically satisfied in Christ and his providences to you. Jesus has not missed who you are. One of the great awfulness of the heresy of atheism is that at the bottom it tells you you're just an accident. Sorry. They probably do have it a lot better than you over there. The gospel declares to you that you're not an accident. That from before there was time, a loving and a holy God knew who you'd be, where you'd be. He knew what you'd be like. He knew the circumstances that would shape you. He'd know the car accidents that you would be in. He'd know the sons and daughters that you would have. He'd know the cities that you would live in. He'd know the passions of your heart. And he would intend to do something beautiful through all of it. That's gospel truth. And until our heart gets there and says, I've got a father and an older brother and a spirit who are good and who are for me, envy will constantly be a threat. If you can believe the gospel with me, that the callings on my life are within the sovereign care of God. And I show off his glory by saying yes and not I wish. By saying yes and not I wish. Then joy and unity and usefulness will flood this church. All right, so let me ask. Are you content with who God has made you? And are you laser focused on what he has before you right now? Are you content with who God has made you? Is there gratitude there and not envy? And are you laser focused on what it is that he has before you and not distracted or paralyzed? Everybody in here has a calling from God right now, most of us, many of them. 
If you are single right now, Jesus is calling you to be the most holy, most helpful, most beautiful single person in the history of Seven Mile Road. Think of the ways that you can grow holy and serve your neighbor and serve this church right now in that calling. If you are married, tend to that marriage. Stop looking left or right. Who cares what's over there? Here is your calling. Love him. Love her with all you've got. If you're a father or a mother, maybe you click with your kids. Maybe you don't. Maybe they're awesome. Maybe they're terrible. Whatever. There, your course. There, your ministry. Throw yourselves at that with all that you've got, not looking at anybody else's kids, not looking at how somebody else's family looks on social media. It's my family, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. And I'm good, and I'm in. Do you have a vocation? Do you work a job? Go after that thing to the glory of God with all that you've got. Do you pastor a church? Man, this is my drum with my brothers in our church planting networks. Stop looking at other people's churches. Here it is right before you. Give it all you've got. Are you a student? Whatever your calling, whatever your gifts, wherever the Lord's got you, say no to envy. Say yes to being satisfied and joyful and useful to Jesus. Let's ask for that grace together. Father, thanks for these words of Scripture. We complain all the time about, oh, post-Christian culture. Would you forgive us for that? Would you set the heart of this church on fire for? But what if there was no envy at Seven Mile Road? Just a bunch bunch of people giddy and content and invigorated to serve you. Melrose would have no idea what to do with women and men like that. Jesus, forgive us for our sideways glances. Steal our gaze on the work that's before us that we might throw ourselves into it. And that Jesus Christ, the all-satisfying treasure, the one without equal, supreme over all, our treasure, would be known to be that because we were content. Hear my prayer. Be answering it this week in our souls, I pray. Amen.